As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Mom guilt is this terrible nagging feeling that I have done something wrong. I have not done enough. I have failed in this area of parenting, right? I'm Allie Wolf, an Emmy-winning journalist and mom. I love interviewing women and experts who inspire us to create fulfilling lives and careers while embracing the messy and beautiful reality of being a mom. This is the Mom's Calling Podcast. Welcome back to Mom's Calling. I really love this interview, and I think that if you are a mom, I'm fairly confident you'll get something from it too. So to sum it up really briefly, we get into mom guilt and the mental load of motherhood, the pressures of being a mom. But the thing that's special and important about this conversation is that we talk about these tools and tactics you can use to cope with these tricky feelings and thoughts that can have a huge effect on our mental health. Spoiler, you cannot eliminate them and make them go away. It happens to the best of us, but you can learn to kind of keep yourself in check and to catch yourself from maybe a little spiral in your own head. My guest is someone who truly gets it. Nicole McNellis is a licensed mental health therapist and maternal health counseling specialist. She operates her own private practice in the suburbs of Philly in Pennsylvania, and she's a mom to two energetic and curious little boys. So here's the cool part. Nicole's therapy practice is completely women-centered, so she focuses on the needs of women, moms, and moms-to-be, and she's passionate about supporting us women through life transitions big and small. We We also discuss her career pivots and also how our personal sacrifices that we make as moms can affect how we feel about ourselves, our identities, and all the pressure we put in ourselves as women and moms. I also love the way Nicole thinks about work-life balance. I'm going to let her explain it. Um, I'm going to get right to this interview, but I just want to say before we start, as an FYI, if my voice sounds a little weird, I had a cold during this interview. Hopefully that's not distracting and enjoy the interview. Nicole, welcome to Mom's Calling. I'm really excited to have you here today on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to talk about our topic today. I think it's something really important, and I think it's something that is going to resonate with a lot of moms. I know it does for me as a mom and as a therapist. It's something that comes up a lot. Yes, I think we all have our different stories as moms, but there's so many universal things that we experience. So before we dive into all these topics, um, let's get your career story and your background, how you came to become a therapist specifically focused on women? Sure. So I have, um, I think, kind of a different story than a lot of therapists do. Um, this wasn't my calling from the very beginning. It took me a while to get here and to realize that this is what I wanted to do. 
after graduating college, Nicole went into sales for six years. She did well. But I wasn't doing any good. I didn't really enjoy the work. I didn't feel like I was doing any good in the world. And that was something that was important to me. So she decided to make a big change. I took a really big leap of faith and recognized that I wanted to be a professional helper, that I wanted to get into counseling and into therapy. So I quit my job the day that I got my acceptance to graduate school, which was terrifying. Um, and then I went to grad school full time. She started as a school counselor. Then after having a child, did outpatient work for an agency. And then after having my second child, I recognized that, you know what, it's really hard to find therapists that work specifically with moms that really understand what it is that moms are going through that have that lived experience that have that specialized training. I mean, really, it's been transformational for me. It's been life changing to, you know, on the logistical end, set my own schedule, not have a boss that I answer to only work with clients that are a good fit for me, and I'm a good fit for them. And it's just it's a really fulfilling and beautiful work. It really is. I get kind of cheesy about it, but I, I do, I do love it. No, it's great to hear that you found what, you know, I mean, I guess your true calling, your mom's Mm -hmm. calling, if you will. But I think it's so great because you pivoted multiple times. It seems like you navigated these changes really well and, and they happened naturally to you. I guess looking back, it seems that way, but do you have any tips for moms who maybe want to find that second calling and want to pivot and are, are feeling a little lost in figuring out what that second or third step that they want to take in their career is? Because I think it can be hard to find a job that works well with your life as a parent. Yeah. So looking back, it may sound like it was this really clear, even the way I describe it, right? Like this really clear, well-worn path that I knew exactly where I was going to go. It was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying, right? I had a job that was good. It was what other people would consider a good job, right? I had a company, I was 24 driving a company car. Like I was fine, right? But inside, I just felt like this is not for me. So to have to express that to other people, first of all, was terrifying. People just didn't understand why I wanted to make that change. But I knew internally, I was so, so deeply unhappy in the work that I was doing. And so, yeah, no, I was scared. I was terrified. And what I did was I went to therapy. That's how how I figured it out. This was the, the moment for me. She asked me, what is your dream for your career? And my answer in session was, I don't have one. And she said to me, I don't believe you, which is unusual for a therapist to say, but she kind of said to me, I think you might want to sit with that. And so I did. And then when I really started to think about it, I thought, wait a second, I do know what I want to do but I'm afraid of the steps I need to take to get there. I'm afraid to quit my job. I'm afraid to go back to graduate school. I haven't been in school in six years. What if I don't get accepted to graduate school? What if I don't pass the test, right? All of those anxieties started coming in and I realized I do have a dream for my career. I need to start taking one step at a time. Okay, yeah, it's so, it's nice to unpack that because it always looks seamless when you look back. But I mean, those months probably were long and agonizing. Earlier, you talked about the mental load of being a mother. And I think this is something that if you're not a mother, doesn't make sense. But if you are, I think it totally does. So can you explain, you know, how you think about that mental load? I mean, what, what does that mean? Right. So the way that I like to frame the mental load of motherhood is um, many moms do paid labor, right? That's the jobs that we do to get paid. And then there's all this unpaid labor that we do. And that unpaid labor consists of so many things. It's emotional labor. 
it's logistical labor. Um, and a lot of times also when you're a mom, it's physical labor, right? But it doesn't really get seen. So what I mean by that is when you're thinking of a task like getting meals on the table for your family, right? It's not just the piece that everybody sees, which is the meal making it to the table. It's this idea that, well, I have to think about what do we even want to eat this week, right? That's the, the conception piece of it that I'm thinking about this, right? Then there's the planning piece, which is what are we actually going to eat? Who's going to order the groceries? Who's going to go to the grocery store, right? All of that piece of it. And then there's the actual execution piece. Who's actually cooking the food and getting it on the table, right? So behind kind of the execution, right? There's all of this behind the scenes work that needs to get done that is frequently invisible, right? All of the, how do we know where to get the kids you know, where do they need to go when, right? Who's doing this activity when, who needs, to, I have a nine-year-old and a five-year-old, they're not getting home by themselves, right? Somebody needs to be there to pick them up for an activity or be present at an activity, right? All of that behind the scenes labor is exhausting and that's the mental load and it's frequently invisible and we don't see it unless we purposefully bring it to the surface, which is another layer of labor really, right? Like if we're talking to our partners about, hey, I'm doing all of these things behind the scene. I think I need you to participate more. I think I need some help here, right? That's the only time that invisible labor gets brought to the surface. That's a really tough thing to deal with. It can feel like I have this huge load that nobody sees. Moms can feel really taken for granted. It can bring up a lot of resentment. This is something that comes up a lot in the work that I do. The mental load of motherhood is, it's heavy. It's so true. And how do we lighten that load? Because I think it's easier said than done. Right. Oh my goodness. It is so much easier said than done. So the, the framework that I use is actually something um, from this book called Fair Play. Um, and the author's name is E. Brodsky. And the author took a management concept and brought it to this idea of the division of labor in the household when a household contains, you know, partners and children, right? And when we think of a task, we frequently only think of what we can see, right? Like when we think of getting a meal on the table, we frequently only think of that meal on the table, right? The, the last piece of it, the piece that's visible. We don't think about all the invisible labor that actually makes that happen, that gets that meal there, right? So she broke tasks down into three parts. And the three parts, it's the CPE concept, conception, planning, and execution. So when you're thinking about getting dinner on the table, you have to think about what are we eating each day, right? What, what ingredients do I need in the house, right? All of that stuff, that's conception. Planning is who's ordering the groceries, who's picking up the groceries, who's actually doing the cooking. And then the execution is exactly what it sounds like the person who's actually doing the labor, the cooking to get that food, who's setting the table, all who's cleaning up afterwards, right? That's the execution piece of it, right? So in just acknowledging that every task has these three parts, we recognize that when you're offloading a task, like when you're asking your partner, hey, can you get dinner on the table Thursday nights? you're not just asking for the execution piece, you're asking for the other pieces too. Because if you don't, then what happens is on Wednesday, you're asking, do you have the ingredients for this dinner that we planned? Are you sure you're gonna have time to do this? Do I need to remind you, I have a late meeting. I need you to make sure that you get dinner on the table at this time for the kids, because then if you don't get dinner on the table at this time, then they're not gonna make it to bed at this time, right? All of that thinking, that's labor, right? That is emotional and cognitive labor. And if you don't offload that too, if, and if we shouldn't just say offload, if your husband, if your partner doesn't take responsibility for that also, you actually still have part of that task. And that's why it feels like you can't let go of any of these tasks 
because your partner has not fully taken ownership of the task. They haven't taken ownership of the three parts. And that's really, really important, right? So you need to be able to say, I'm working late on Thursday night. You've got dinner, right? And they say yes, and they've got all the parts under control, right? They've got the ingredients. They know what the plan is, and they're going to do it on time so that it doesn't mess up the rest of the night for the kids. That is fully taking on a task that's taking on the conception, the planning, and the execution. And that's where you'll actually start to see a difference. If it's just the execution that's being taken over, it doesn't make that big of a difference, believe it or not. Okay. I love that way of thinking about it because it is so true. It's not just, oh, look, I made dinner, but it's like, if you're getting the groceries, like it's easier for me to just cook the groceries that I got. So I I love that concrete way of thinking about it. Another thing that comes into play is of course, mom guilt. And I think that relates to this because if you do offload maybe some of your childcare or some of the tasks related to your child, you may feel guilty about it. And so I just think mom guilt is something that seeps into so much of what we do. And I think these things just creep up and we often don't feel them because it's so gradual. So how do you think about mom guilt and and how can we try not to have it weighing us down? Right. I wish your listeners could see me (laughs) nodding my head (laughs) as you were just saying all of that. I think you put it so beautifully, right? It's kind of sneaky mom guilt, right? But it's also really pervasive. So I like to start at the beginning with mom guilt, right? What is mom guilt? Mom guilt is this terrible nagging feeling that I have done something wrong. I have not done enough. I have failed in this area of parenting, right? That's mom guilt. So then let's break it down a little bit. I'd like to give a personal example where I had to take a little bit of my own medicine (laughs) regarding mom guilt. I like to consider myself somebody who's really organized. I am the keeper of schedules in my household and that's intentional because I'm good at it usually. (laughs) And so my oldest is in third grade and his school, his elementary school is wonderful. And they have this really great program called the mystery reader program. And every Friday they set aside time where parents and caregivers and guardians, any special person to that student can come in and read a book to the class. And it's this big surprise, right? And so My son has been asking me since he was in kindergarten for me to come in and be a mystery reader. And so I signed up and I was all excited. So I put it on my personal calendar. I put it on my work calendar and I did this little like entrepreneurial pat on the back. I was like, I was there. I was so super excited. And so a week before my date that I thought I was going to be the mystery reader, I get this really strange email from my son's teacher. And this was the day where I was seeing clients back to back. I'm reading it in between sessions and it says something along the lines of, hey, we really missed you today. Hope everything is okay. Um, Would you like to reschedule your Mr. Reader date? And I thought there's gotta be a mistake. Maybe she sent this to the wrong person. I'm not sure what's going on here. So I wrote back to her and I said, hey, everything's fine. Just a busy day at work. Um, I'm all good to be the Mr. Reader next week. And then she wrote back immediately and she said, no, I, I had you on the schedule for today. And I just had this sinking, sinking feeling. I missed my mystery reader date. I was like a no call, no show. Like I did not show up. My immediate thoughts were, I'm bad at this. I am a terrible mom. Here I am. I pride myself on being organized and on time and the keeper of the schedules. And I messed this up. This was not a big ask for my son. It really, really was it. I messed up so bad. 
I'm a terrible mom, right? The, the guilt was, it was like oozing out of me, <laughs> the mom guilt. And then my son came home from school later that day and he just looked so sad. And he asked me, you know, mom, what, what happened? Why didn't you show up to be a mystery reader? And it was, it was awful. And I felt awful and I had to own it, right? I made a mistake and I apologized and I told him that I was really sorry. And then I got to this point where I thought to myself, this isn't serving me. If I had a friend who came to me and told me this story, how would I react to them, right? I decided that it was time to take a little dose of my own medicine. And my reaction to a friend would be, listen, it's okay. We all mess up. It's okay. Give yourself some grace and space. And also, if you're somebody who normally is like on top of things, what does this tell you, right? So for me, I had to get really introspective. And this was telling me, I'm overwhelmed. Like my schedule has too many things on it. This isn't like me, right? We frequently think if I show myself some self-compassion that I'm not gonna get things done. I'm not gonna be productive. I'm just gonna make excuses for myself. That's not true. What actually happens is when you show yourself some self-compassion, you open up a completely new path forward. If I had stopped with my train of thought of, I'm a terrible mom, I'm bad at this. I'm just gonna continue to beat myself up. That's a dead end, isn't it? But if I show myself some self-compassion and I say to myself, I made a mistake, but I'm a good mom and I can, I can fix this. I thought to myself, well, you know, I signed up for a mystery reading spot in the future, but it was like months and months in the future. So the solution that I came up with was my son's birthday was coming up. It wasn't a day that was a mystery reader day, but I thought I pick a really short book, like five minutes. Maybe I could pop in and read this book about birthdays to the class. And that would feel really good. And because his teacher is an absolutely lovely human being, she completely understood. And so that's what I did. And you better believe there was like 20 alarms set in the house that day. <laughs> and I felt like, okay, I did this. I feel really good about this. I'm not, I'm not a bad mom, right? And because I showed myself self-compassion, it allowed me to find this solution. It was a really powerful lesson for me too. Yeah, and I think it's so interesting how one mistake and then you quickly go to your identity of like, I'm terrible at this. And so I feel like that's something that's so like we naturally do to beat ourselves up and then we carry that with us. And so I'm wondering, is there a way to not tie those little mistakes to our entire identity or is it just about catching yourself like you did and just being aware that, oh, that isn't being very nice to myself, what would I say to my friend? I think when clients come to me and we're talking about mom guilt, their initial goal is, I don't want to feel mom guilt anymore. I want to get rid of this feeling, right? And we have to dive into that a little bit more. Where does this feeling even come from? There are cultural and societal pressures on moms that just don't exist elsewhere, right? So what happens is we internalize those external pressures and then we feel all this pressure to do it all, all the time and to juggle it all and to be good at everything and to be perfect and to have everything in perfect balance, right? And that's where this comes from, right? And unless there's some much bigger shifts in the society as a whole, right? That's not changing. So what we work on is what can you actually control, right? Getting rid of mom guilt completely. I would love it. I would be right there with you, but I don't think that's realistic. I really don't. What we can control though, is our reaction to it. And that's what I did. I recognized like, oh, this is mom guilt. I'm getting really, really nasty here with myself and I need to walk this back. And that's what I teach clients to do. You can't necessarily stop the mom. It's like trying to stop anxiety. You can't, it's trying to protect you. You're not stopping it, right? But what you can do is you can change your reaction to it. 
So as soon as you feel that mom guilt creeping up, as soon as you start, it's that inner critical voice, right? That's so, so mean. When you hear that voice saying things like, you're a terrible mom, you're not good at this, all the kind of terrible places that we can go with that. When you start hearing that voice, that's when you kind of jump into action and say like, wait a second, I made a mistake. I can own that mistake, but I can also be kind to myself in the process and show myself some self-compassion, show myself the compassion that I so freely give to others, right? That I give to my kids, that I give to my friends, that I give to my partner, right? And that is our starting point, right? Self-compassion is a starting point and it is a healthy reaction to mom guilt, I love that. It's realistic. And yeah, you probably, that's unfortunate that we just can't make it go away. You can't just click something on, but, um, but yeah, it's about, I think, catching yourself. Okay. Before we continue with the show, I want to talk a little about Noom. Noom uses the latest in behavioral science to empower people to take control of their health for good through a combination of psychology, technology, and human coaching on their platform to help millions of users meet their personal health and wellness goals. A lot of people face pressure to change themselves to fit other people's expectations. And the more freeing solution is to find things that work for you. Noom understands that everyone's weight loss journey is unique and what works for someone else doesn't necessarily mean it'll work for you. That's why Noom's approach adapts to your lifestyle. It's flexible and focuses on progress, not perfection, allowing you to work toward goals at a pace that's comfortable for you. Noom Weight makes it easy to start your weight loss journey and stay on track. Personalized lessons help you gain confidence and practical knowledge. One-on-one coaching and a cognitive behavioral approach teaches you how to be mindful of your habits. 75% of Noom Weight users finished the program and more than 60% that engaged with the program kept the weight off for a year or more. So start building better habits for healthier long-term results. Sign up for your trial at Noom.com slash believe. That's Noom, N-O-O-M dot com slash believe, B-L-E-A-V. And I think also that kind of identity as a mom is even harder because when you give something up for motherhood. So like if you um, step back in your career or quit altogether, then I, I feel like there's more pressure on being like, quote unquote, perfect as a mom and not messing up because you're dedicating so much of who you are to it. So mm-hmm. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that identity piece and like how to bring more of yourself back after maybe giving up something as a mom, because I think that's such a hard shift, especially if you're somebody who's ambitious and had a great career, or really big dreams and still do. How do you advise moms to deal with that? So the place I'd like to start with is it's okay. It's okay to feel this way, right? If you, you know, I like to break it down into paid labor and unpaid labor, right? If you have intentionally, you know, given up your paid labor to do all of this unpaid labor, right? Then it's understandable that your full identity then would be in being a mom, right? Like this is, this is your job now, right? Like this is who you are personally, and this is who you are professionally in a sense. So there is a lot more pressure, I think, on stay-at-home moms, right? To get it all right and to be perfect. So then where I go with that is, well, what, is what does perfect even mean? And why is that the goal? Why is that the expectation, right? So an example that I like to use, because this comes up a lot also in the work that I do, frequently have moms that come to me and they'll say, I need my life in balance. My life is out of control, right? Whether or not they're working outside of the home or not. And I'll say, right, well, let's talk about that. What does that mean? And they frequently have this 
they look at work-life balance, whatever their, their work life might be. And they have this very particular endpoint, right? It's like a destination, right? And I can relate to this. If my life were in perfect balance, I could tell you exactly what my house would look like. could tell you exactly what we would be eating. could tell you how my kids would be, would be dressed, right? I could tell you where we would be going on vacation. I could tell you what, exactly what my ideal schedule would look like for work, right? Oh, I could tell you how many days of the week I would be working out, what work, work, workouts I would be doing, right? I could tell you exactly what my life would look like if it were in perfect balance. But that expectation is unreasonable and it's damaging, right? So when I was looking to start my own private practice, I recognized that I needed to look at work-life balance on a continuum rather than as this destination, right? And what that did is that freed me up a little bit. So it was, it happened to be over, um, I took a few months over a summer to, to work on setting my practice up. And I recognized that during that time, things that were important to me and things that I would normally, you know, be on top of, so to speak, right? Like I'm somebody that loves to cook, right? So we normally have lots of home cooked meals every week. That was going to have to take a little bit of a backseat because I was staying up till two in the morning writing website copy, right? So I didn't have the energy then to get up and make a big healthy breakfast for everybody because I was tired because I'd gotten four hours of sleep the, the night before, right? And so when you look at work-life balance on a continuum, rather than looking at it as like this finite point, you can then move along the continuum, right? And when you move along that continuum, it allows you to move the expectations. So I recognize I've got this big project on my plate work-wise, right? So I need to shift my, I only, my energy is finite. I have to shift my energy over here. Then once I get my practice in place and once I start getting clients, then I can move back over here to this side where I'm spending more time with my family because the whole reason I'm setting up this private practice is so that I can set my own schedule and spend more time with my family, but it's costing me all of this time up front. So I was shifting my expectations based on what was actually happening, right? I wasn't saying to myself, regardless of the circumstances, I have to make a home-cooked meal three times a day, right? I was recognizing like, that is out of control. <laughs> That's an unrealistic expectation. I need to shift my expectations with, with what actually is happening in my reality. And I think you can do that as a working mom and as a staying home mom, right? You have to look at what's the reality of your situation and how do you shift your expectations along with that so that you're not doing this thing where you're white knuckling, right? And you're just, you're tying everything you are into those expectations, which are unreasonable for moms to begin with. Yeah. I think that's such a good way of looking at it because I think that in society, there's this idea of work-life balance and this dream that is so unrealistic and having it all. And like, we think that we can be these moms who are, have this dream career and be there for every event for our kids. And I just feel like it's just going to set up to disappointment. And like you kind of touched on is this pressure to where nobody told you you had to cook all those meals, but you felt like you had to do it all. Absolutely. My kids were so excited to eat more takeout that summer. They still talk about it. <laughs> so, That's so in their funny. Mind, isn't that funny? Yeah. And I thought like, oh, I'm doing this terrible thing. And in their mind, they were like, this is great. Let's get more pizza. We think this is awesome. Right. So, you know, it's just, we internalize all of this external pressure and it's really, really damaging. Right. So just being aware of what we're doing is such a great first step, right? That awareness then allows us to take steps then that can feel healthier and more productive. 
It's so helpful. So I want to know some of, I mean, we get so much advice as moms and it's all from a good place, but some of it can be quote unquote bad advice. So what are the best and worst pieces of advice that you hear or that you've personally received? Sure. So that I personally received, and I also hear my, the moms that I work with talking about all the time, um, especially for new moms is this idea of enjoy every moment. Right. And while on the outside, that sounds really lovely, right? Like why wouldn't you want to enjoy every moment with this like adorable newborn and infant? And it's because that's way too much pressure. There are moments that are just not enjoyable. Like I don't enjoy being woken up every two hours. I just don't. And that's okay. It's okay to not enjoy that piece of it, right? It's okay to enjoy, you know, snuggling with your baby during the day. And then it's also okay to say, I don't enjoy this child waking me up five times a night. This is not fun, right? Like we don't need all of that pressure. So that's advice that comes from a good place, but that's actually not helpful. And then leads into all of the stuff that we've been talking about today, right? All of this external pressure that gets internalized. And then, well, if I'm not enjoying every moment. Am I not doing this right? Am I not perfect? What am I doing wrong, right? Moms don't need that. Don't do that. Don't say that to moms, <laughs> please. Oh my gosh. So, so, so true. And then what is, what is the best for you? The best piece of advice? For me, as someone who is a planner and likes to be super prepared, something that was really powerful for me was when I was working to set up my practice. And again, I was terrified. I was taking this big leap. And, you know, somebody, a mentor said to me along the way, you need to feel the fear. Like it's okay to be scared, but you need to do this anyway. So it's this idea of feel the fear and do it anyway. Sometimes we just need to do the things that scare us, right? Sometimes, you know, anxiety is a warning signal, right? But sometimes the warning signal is, I'm afraid I'm going to fail. So it's okay. You can take healthy risks. Frequently as women, right, we are, we're basically told you need to be perfect. We're not told you can take risks. And so to own this idea that, you know, I'm scared, but this is a healthy risk. I know that opening my own practice is a healthy risk. It's going to be good for me. And it's going to be good for the clients that I serve. This is a healthy risk. I need to feel this fear. I need to own it. And I need to do it anyway. I need to push through it. And that has been one of the most powerful pieces of advice that I've ever received. I love that. That is great. Um, Okay. So now I just want to get to the question from the previous guest. So when you're thinking about setting family-friendly boundaries, you first have to be aware of what it is that's important to you. So if having mealtimes without distractions is important to you, then that's a boundary you can set, right? no devices at the table, right? So that includes you, you know, responding to work emails, maybe, right? Everybody puts the devices down and you have a half an hour where you're just spending with family, right? That's a family-friendly boundary. A lot of the women that I work with, one of the things that they're now asking their employers to do, or if they're the employer, they're setting no meeting times, right? There are times of the day where there's not going to be a meeting. So, you know, maybe from eight in the morning till 10, when a lot of families are getting kids off to school, That is not a time that anybody sets a meeting, right? Like what a great boundary to set, right? So you know that that expectation, that's a family-friendly boundary, right? There's this expectation that no, we're not, no one's going to set a meeting during that time because we know it doesn't work for most of the people who work here, right? And so things like that can be family-friendly boundaries. So don't be afraid to say no, and don't be afraid to ask for what you need and really think about what is it that you need and what boundary can you set to get there? Perfect. Okay. That was a perfect question for you. Love it. Um, Okay. So now at the end, I just want you to share how the audience can learn more about you or get in touch with you. 
Sure, absolutely. So I have my practice website and that's NicoleMcNellis.com. And I also have a social media presence. So on Facebook, you can find me at Nicole McNellis Therapy. And on Instagram, I am at the Therapist Mom Collective. Okay, perfect. Well, Thanks this was so great and so beneficial. Thank you, Nicole, for coming I on. I want to hear from Thank you. you. So much for Send me an email really to momscallingpod at gmail.com. If you like the show, be sure to rate and review this podcast. See you next week for another episode of Mom's Calling on the Believe Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.